I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4. We'll start there and then look at uh, another passage in a moment. Obviously, like uh, Dr. Lucan mentioned, you learn a lot of great truths uh, every day, hearing chapel chapel messages, but also being uh, in good Bible classes and then involved in our local churches. So when you come to Bible college like this, uh, you get uh, really saturated with the scriptures, and that's an important thing. Then you go out from here, and there's a lot of uh, work for the Lord that needs to be done, and he leads people in uh, many different areas, many different ways. But, um, you know, obviously just because we go through a Bible college doesn't mean that uh, we're necessarily going to be faithful to the Lord and, and consistent and and uh, that's, that's the real challenge, just going, uh, it's a challenge getting through Bible college for sure. Uh, one of the young men shared how it's a challenge just paying the bills, so that's one of the challenges for sure. But uh, amazingly, the Lord provides in so many different ways, and we go out into the area of service that the Lord has for us, and uh, just to continue to take those things that we learn, the challenges that uh, we hear week after week, and uh, to continue using those in those various areas of ministry. And uh, I trust that each one of us here today will be faithful to the Lord. It's a, definitely a challenge. We are in a spiritual warfare. But as we, the thing that I'd like us to look at here today, it's a familiar story in our Gospels. Maybe you've come across it in your Life of Christ class. I'm sure you've heard messages on it. Just the, um, thinking about especially the early disciples' call to the ministry, to following the Lord, serving with Him. And just thinking about that important concept and the importance of it really just going back over that, those important principles of when Jesus initially called these men and thinking about what it is that He called them to. I had us turn here to Matthew chapter 4 because if you just begin reading the New Testament, you'll come across this story in Matthew chapter 4. Of course, there's um, you know, the story of his birth and uh, his temptation, his baptism, his temptation. And then he begins to get into his ministry. And so one of the first times that we're introduced in our New Testament to uh, Jesus interacting with these men that we come to know as his disciples and apostles is there in Matthew chapter 4. And we'll read verses 18 through 22. And here in this passage, I'd like us to just think about you know, it's um, basically about Jesus calling these initial men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And uh, just notice how it gives us a real basic overview of that call to serve with him. So Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. That was their profession. And he said unto them, he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, And followed him. So, again, as you start in the New Testament, you start reading through it, 
This seems to be the first time that uh, Jesus and these four men interact. And it's like he just walks up to total strangers. You, you might get that impression that uh, he meets these guys and just calls them, and uh, they've had no idea who he is. That would sort of be your first impression in reading the New Testament for the first time, if you were just reading through the Bible the very first time, that Jesus just uh, meets these guys down by the seashore and calls these four random men, and they just immediately leave everything and follow him. But um, it does seem like if you go on and keep reading and you put together uh, all the information there in the Gospels, that uh, it is very likely that Jesus had interacted with these men and that they had even served with him some. We find that out, I think, mainly in John. We won't turn over there, but you read the early chapters of John. It seems like uh, what, what takes place there probably occurred before this incident that we read here in Matthew chapter 4. I'll have us turn over here. You could be turning over to Luke chapter 5. That's a, another passage we'll be looking at. But I wanted us just to think about, first of all, what, how Matthew records it. And that's an important passage there because it just gives us those basics. You think about every one of us that serves the Lord, every person that goes into the, the Lord's work and serves Him with their life in one way or another. There's been a time when they've come to realize Jesus' control over their life. And Matthew records it, and Mark as well in his gospel, just sort of a very basic, very quick, and just an overview. But that's, that's really what uh, takes place. If you could look at any person that served the Lord with their life, there was that time when they met Jesus, you know, he, they sense his call upon their life, and they just willingly follow, follow him. They leave everything behind, and they follow him to be a fisher of men. He says, I will make you to be fishers of men. But uh, as we read these four Gospels, especially when we get to John, we do realize that Jesus had interacted with them. It seems like some of these men may have, especially Andrew, maybe to some degree Peter or Simon, they had been followers of John, disciples of John, and then uh, they get introduced to Jesus. And uh, it seems like, uh, from what I can tell, they may have been following Jesus uh, occasionally for about nine months. And then we read about uh, there in Matthew 4, Mark 1 talks about it, that call of these men, and then here in Luke chapter 5. So I, I think that's important to understand when we get here to Luke 5, and we'll think about this more throughout the message today, to keep in mind that uh, you know we have the basics of the call, the, the essentials, you might say, of the call to, to follow Jesus there in Matthew chapter 4, but when we come here to Luke 5, again, the way it's presented, it's like um, you would almost think that Jesus had never interacted with these people before, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, but always keep in mind that uh, the Gospel of John tells us some things that the other Gospels don't. The, the first three, known as the synoptics, they, they present it one way, Matthew and Mark give us a real basic Luke here, we'll look at, uh, gives us a more in-depth look at Peter's call, and that's an important thing that uh, we'll look at here this morning more. But just to try to get all of that in our mind, that um, Jesus seems to have called these men or interacted with them for about nine months, and then is when we actually get to uh, 
this call that we read about here in Luke chapter 5 and we read briefly in, in Matthew 4. So it's good to just keep all that in mind. It's not like Jesus walked up to total strangers and uh, called them to follow him. That would seem a bit unusual. No, he, was, he knew these men. They had been with him some. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. So I would, I would think of these men like Peter here in Luke chapter 5. We're going to read more about, he expands a little bit on Peter's call. And I would think of these men as somewhat occasional followers of Jesus. Because even there in Matthew, when we read, it said they were fishing. Uh, Here, when we get to Luke, it talks about them mending their nets. So it seems like Jesus is teaching and doing his work and ministry. And then he meets up with these men there on the seashore, the Sea of Galilee. And they're still continuing on with their, their main profession at this point. That is uh, fishing, casting nets, mending their nets. And so uh, Jesus is actually, when he calls these men at this point, you could say they were occasional followers of Jesus. They would go with him sometimes, then other times they would go back and continue on with their profession. Remember in Matthew it said they were fishers, they were fishermen. And that's an important detail to to keep in mind. So here Jesus, uh, when he makes this significant call upon their life to follow him, to leave everything behind. They had been with him some. They had been with John the Baptist some. They had seen Jesus do some amazing miracles. If you think about what, what uh, John talks about, they had uh, you know, seen the water turn to wine there in John 2. Uh, Jesus even mentions to Peter that I'm going to change your name from Simon to Cephas. You know that we have that account there in John. They had... Um, They had seen the incident there in Samaria where Jesus meets the the woman at the well and they saw all that take place. Uh, The way Luke tells it here in chapter 4, we see that uh, Jesus heals his mother-in-law. So they had interacted with him. They had heard his teaching some. They had traveled with him for maybe around nine months as far as I can tell. And it seems like uh, maybe about that amount of time. Off and on, they had been with Jesus. But obviously, they would go back and uh, do their main profession. So that's important just to keep in mind. I think there's, you know, we can all relate to that. There's probably a time in many of our lives when we're in, we, maybe we say we got saved, uh, which, by the way, uh, today is my spiritual birthday. I was going to mention that earlier. I got saved 39 years ago on September 12th, so 1984. So that was the day I got introduced to Christ. And I look at back at my life and I can see a lot of you know, th- this kind of thing happening. You get saved, you're introduced to Jesus, you're willing to follow him. But then many times people sense uh, a time in their life when we say, hey, I know Jesus is really trying to, to get me to surrender everything. And for me, that was uh, when I was 18, a senior in high school. Uh, been in a good church, been uh, you know, hearing the preaching every week, went to a Christian school, a good family. So we had family devotions. But I knew that, you know, at that point, I, I, I knew the sense the Lord really working in my heart about just surrendering, doing anything. And the, the Lord directed us into missions and serving Him in that way. And He directs people in many different ways, but uh, certainly we need to follow Him and just abandon everything else to follow what Jesus wants us to do. So I'm thankful for that day uh, back in uh, 1984. I was almost 11 when the Lord saved me. But many people would be like that. They, they come to know the Lord. And then they, they follow him some, 
maybe hit and miss a little bit, maybe more of an occasional follower, maybe willing to do some things, but not really sold out to him. And I'm sure many of us here today are, are here because, you know, there's been that time when God really got a hold of our life. But maybe there's some today that are still struggling with that and thinking about what it is that God wants me to do with my life. And I trust that uh, we'll consider this passage. So as we come here to Luke chapter 4, Luke 4 and 5, we'll look a little bit here at the end of chapter 4 just to see what uh, Jesus is doing and leading up to uh, the call of Peter. We can... we. Uh, Let's just pick up in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. It gives us a little bit of an idea of what's going on and what Jesus is doing. This is where he heals Simon's wife's mother. Verse 38, he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. They besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. When it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him, and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So here we see that Jesus is just carrying on his ministry. He mentions that. He said, therefore am I sent. To do what? To preach the kingdom of God. And he travels all over that area, preaching in their synagogues. Mentions he was out in a desert place. And the people were were very eager to hear him, to see him, to experience his miraculous power. It says they brought all these sick people. We don't know exactly if Peter and Andrew and James and John were there at that time, but I'm sure they had seen things like this because they had traveled with Jesus some. But we can see that uh, you know Jesus was quite popular in that region. So I'm sure that uh, these disciples like Peter were well aware of, of what Jesus was doing and the ministry, hearing the things that he taught. But, you know, Jesus, it's, it's always amazing. I like those stories throughout the Gospels where you know he's, he's sort of honing in on a certain person or trying to teach a certain lesson. And you just see him orchestrating all the events. You know, we think about, uh, we look around at our universe and just uh, marvel at the way the universe just operates in, in perfect order and everything just so precise and it reminds us, you know, here is our, our life, and we often worry and we struggle. And yet, it's good to reflect on how Jesus, you know, controls everybody's life and all the events of people's lives, together with the entire, the vast universe around us. But that's what I, I, I sense him doing here. He's busy. There's all these people. But, you know, in his mind, he's getting to this point here in Luke chapter 5, 
where we have this very interesting and important story in the life of Peter. And he is like, this story singles out. Peter was very instrumental in the Lord's ministry, wasn't he? He was like one of the, one of the key leaders. And though Andrew was here, James and John, this story really focuses in on Peter's. And sometimes you, look, you think about, if you were just observing that day, if you could, I like to try to imagine myself there, there that day. You have all these people, they're pressing on him, it says. He's near the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, but in his mind, he, he wants to be there on purpose. He has a, he has a plan that he's, for, he's formulated and he's planned out to really focus in on Peter. And just imagine that this is what he does for all of us at one point or another in our life. When he really wants to get our attention, he just orchestrates all these events so perfectly. Even it reminds me sometimes there toward the end of, uh, uh, right after his resurrection, he again orchestrates an incident that he challenges Peter with his love. And it's around a coal of fires there at the lake again, and uh, he challenges Peter. But when you think about how that all played out and how that worked out, uh, you realize how Jesus does this over and over again in our lives. He'll bring about a certain circum- set of circumstances which just sort of look random to the outsider, but Jesus knows exactly why he went down by the sea, why he went into a boat. You know, that wasn't the normal way that people would teach to sit in a boat, but it, it made sense in that day if you're being pressed and you're up against the water. Well, you get into a boat, you move out a little ways from the shore, and You know, the crowd isn't going to keep pressing on you. You have a little space to teach and preach. And that's what he's doing. But he knew exactly, it wasn't like he he accidentally got, he knew exactly whose boat he needed to get into. It says that um, he entered into one of the ships. There was other ones there. It says there was two ships. Why not the other one? Well, he knew he, he wanted to get into Peter's. He wanted Peter right there hearing all this. He was going to teach Peter an important lesson. And so always remember that that's what he's doing in our lives. He's, uh, time and time again, he'll orchestrate events that sort of look random to the outside observer. But when you look back on it, you know Jesus was really trying to get at something. He, he's trying to get a hold of Peter's heart, this, this occasional follower, this person that follows him at times. And at that point in his life, that was probably okay. You know, we all go through that period of time when the Lord... Uh, you know, just has us doing some things for him, but maybe he has a change of direction. Maybe he has a, a bigger a ministry that he wants to call us to. And that's a key thing. There's always a process that the Lord brings us through. You know, first it starts with getting to know him, being brought to him, like, like Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. We, we begin, we're introduced to him. We, we believe in him. We get saved, you might say. And then over the time, he, he keeps working with us to develop us because he wants to get us right where he can use us. He has a plan for each and every one of us. And all of us could look back. Sometimes it's maybe not quite as dramatic as what Peter experienced. This is quite an amazing, dramatic experience. But all of us can look back if we're really sold out to the Lord. We can think back on that time when God really got a hold of our attention. For some, it's a, a very dramatic thing. Like this. Others, it's just sort of a normal, more basic kind of call, but we can all think of that time that the Lord really got a hold of our heart. But think about these circumstances. He's teaching, he just moves in with the crowd. He, there's two boats, he chooses one. It says Simon's. He tells him to cast out or thrust out, and he teaches from the, 
the, the, the ship. Maybe it was a message that he really wanted Peter to hear. You know, here he'd been teaching, and Peter's been off fishing all night. He's been mending his nets, maybe fishing a little bit more from the shore. And he's, he's teaching. Maybe he really wants to hone in on Peter and get a hold of his attention. So he gets into his boat. He, he sort of makes him a captive audience. And now Peter has to just leave everything and, and sit there, I'm sure, and listen to what Jesus uh, had to say. And in some way, as, as this story goes on, I'm sure that in Peter's mind, it almost seemed like it was a bit inconvenient. <clears throat> I'm sure if anybody here has worked all night, remember he said that uh, they had labored all night. If you've worked all night, and then you can imagine you're, you're hoping that I'm, I'm about to go home and maybe take a nap or sleep for a few hours. And then Jesus says, hey, let's go out. Let me use your boat. Can you push out? Can you just sort of, I sort of imagine Peter thinking, oh, I, I didn't really want to do this. I was tired. I wanted to go home. That would sort of be the, we don't have all those little details there. But I can imagine that this was maybe a little bit inconvenient. Maybe he wanted to finish up mending the nets. And it says that he was doing that. And so maybe he was hoping to get that job all done. And then Jesus, uh, but oftentimes Jesus does sort of intervene and step into our life in a way that feels a little bit inconvenient at the time. And sort of, but he likes to do that. It's a way that he often gets our attention. So don't be shocked when he does that in our life. Maybe you sense that in your life even now. But uh, God will often do that. He'll just step in and intervene. It seems a little bit inconvenient at the time. But as we look here, this is an important lesson that he's teaching, teaching uh, Peter. So he's ministering to the crowds. He gets into Peter's boat. They're out there in the water. And um, he's going to really teach Peter an important lesson. So let's think about now Peter as Jesus turns his attention upon Peter. As they're out there, he finishes his teaching. Let's just keep reading now in verses 4. Luke chapter 5, let's pick up again on verse 4. I think we read verses 1 through 3. Let's pick up now on verse 4. It says, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had thus done, this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished in all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So again, back what we, what we read in Matthew 4, just the basics of this call. Here we're getting into what actually took place in Peter's life. Matthew and Mark sort of just skip over all these details. Luke elaborates a little bit on this. But such an important lesson, isn't it, for us? 
to think about how Jesus, he understands his calling. He says, I'm sent here to preach. We saw that at the end of chapter 4. He's out there preaching, healing people, calling people into the kingdom, teaching them the ways of God. And he wants to call Peter and these others to join him in this great work. And so we see here some important lessons from the life of Peter. So again, a a very familiar story, but Peter mentions that he had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. So that's the perfect time for Jesus to do what he had done. If he wants to get a hold of a person's attention, you know, he knows exactly how to do this. Um, You can imagine if Peter and the disciples had been very successful that night, uh, what that would have sort of changed the tone and the circumstances of this calling. But to be out there all night, laboring, working, you know, a, a very difficult kind of task. I'm sure not uh, that enjoyable uh, to be using nets. I'm sure none of us would really uh, enjoy that. Maybe some would like fishing all through the night. But I, I can't imagine it's the funnest of circumstances, but especially when you don't catch anything. To go out there and, and be totally unsuccessful. So it's a perfect uh, setting for Jesus to make the point that he wants to make. And Jesus and Peter's, you can, you can sense there that because he, you might say, is a professional fisher, fisherman, this was their work. And even he had been unsuccessful. I'm sure Peter would look at Jesus and um, realize that Jesus... You know, we don't read of him ever being much of a fisherman. So I'm sure that was probably going through Peter's mind. Here Jesus is telling him to let down the nets and let's go catch some fish. And you can just imagine in Peter's mind, he's thinking, hey, I'm the, I'm the pro at this. I have all the experience. Jesus, I've never seen you fishing. We don't read of him ever doing that. So maybe he had never seen Jesus out in a boat so he's thinking, you know, who is this Jesus to, to tell me this? Now, again, keep in mind he had seen Jesus do some things. He had been with him some. He'd heard some of his teaching. And that's interesting there in verse 5, isn't it? That even though I'm sure all of those kind of things were running through Peter's mind, he knew enough about Jesus to call him master and to sort of unwillingly, you get the sense that he sort of, reluctantly or unwillingly, does say at the end of verse 5, I will let down my net. Uh, because he does realize that Jesus, who a little bit of who Jesus is, to call him master. And so I think it's that point in a person's life where they, have, they know some of who Jesus is, but they don't really understand him fully. And Jesus wants to change that perspective. He wants all of us to come to that point where we, Jesus isn't just... Uh, you know, uh, a good teacher, this uh, amazing person. But as you go through this story, Jesus wants Peter to really understand that this is God in the flesh, the holy God. And we see that come out in Peter's response. That's what he really wants each one of us to understand. If we're going to be the person that uh, Jesus can really use, and he has a plan for every one of us, He, he wants all of us to get to that point where we don't just sort of reluctantly say, well, okay, I'll, I'll go through the motions, so to speak, because I know enough about Jesus to at least do what he specifically asked me to do. And that's the way you sort of sense this. 
Like, hey, Peter would be thinking, hey, I'm busy. He's already interfering with my life. And uh, this is sort of inconvenient. But he knows enough about Jesus to say, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And he does know enough about him to call him master. So he feels like he has to do uh, what he says. And I I think that illustrates a lot of where many Christians are. Uh, It's very easy for us to get to that point where uh, serving Jesus, we we sort of do it almost out of duty, almost uh, a little bit reluctantly. It's almost like an inconvenience to us. I think all of that could sort of uh, depict what Peter is probably feeling at this point. But Jesus, you know, he really wants us to get to the point where it's more than that, right? He wants us to get way beyond that, to, to have the heart and passion, to feel like, hey, this is the Father's will for my life. I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm willing to do anything for Christ. But here at this point, and Jesus knows what's coming, you sort of sense that it could be a little bit inconvenient. Peter seems a little bit reluctant. He seems like he knows better than even Jesus. And so he's sort of questioning Jesus, doubting Jesus. But he does it simply because Jesus asked him to do that. So just try to envision that. Envision that here's a man that had been with Jesus some for about nine months. Jesus seems to just sort of almost... uh, uh, come by Peter almost randomly there at the sea. But Jesus knows exactly. He has it all perfectly planned out. He finishes his teaching. He now asks Peter this unusual request. Let's launch out into the deep. Let down your nets again. Here they had just been washing him and mending him, probably getting ready to put him away for the day. And and yet Jesus sort of inconveniently asked him this. And uh, maybe we can think back in our life where we've, we've sort of felt the same way about serving Jesus. Uh, there's, there's a work to be done, but we sort of do it hesitantly. Maybe we're sort of questioning the one that's asking us to do this for the Lord. Maybe we're sort of battling the Lord in our own mind. We sense him pricking our heart. I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we're a little bit doubtful, a little bit hesitant, somewhat reluctant. And Jesus wants to bring us to that point, sort of a crisis point, you might say, where we, we know that he's really getting a hold of our heart and he wants us to surrender. He has a a greater work for us to do. He realizes that Peter doesn't really understand what life is all about as a disciple of Jesus. And he wants him to to really come to that point. And so let's just keep thinking about that. So here we've talked a little bit about uh, what leads up to this. We've talked a little bit about the context in which Peter and his friends there had interacted with Jesus. But now we get to the point of what Jesus really wants to get at, to make Peter understand fully who he is and what his real work on life is all about. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, even the lost people fill their lives with all kinds of activity. So we know that there's a lot of things we can fill our life with. But here Jesus, I think, really tries to get a hold of Peter's attention and our attention here today to make us understand what life is really all about. What should we fill our life with? What should we be busy with? Should we just be this occasional sort of reluctant follower and a servant of Christ who says, well, just because you say it, I'll do it. But I don't really think it's the right thing. I don't really think I need to do that. That's not really the best thing. And that's what Peter Peter really has to learn. It's an important lesson. 
And as we read that story, Jesus, who's in control of all the uh, things of nature, when Peter does let down the nets, he does a miracle. He does a miraculous thing, and he fills those nets with fishes. And it's not like it was just full a little bit, wasn't it? Imagine having so many that your net are breaking, your nets are breaking. Remember, it mentions that they were up there washing their nets. One of the other passages mentions they were mending them. And here, there's so many fish. Jesus sends so many fish into those nets that not only does the nets break, but it says that the boats began to sink. They needed the help of their other friends. So you can sense here that he just completely overwhelms Peter. Peter, for sure, had never seen anything like this. I can't imagine that this would have ever happened uh, at any other point in his life where you're catching so many fish that your boat is actually sinking and that you have to call in other people to come and help you. So you can imagine here he's somewhat reluctant. He's thinking it's not going to work, and Jesus completely changes that and does exactly what he could never have imagined. Of course, Jesus can do that all the time. We, we know so little. We can't even imagine what Jesus would do. And that's why it's so important to come to this point in our life to realize that no matter what Jesus asks us, as we surrender our life to him, he'll always do more than we could ever imagine. He'll, he'll work out things uh, in ways that we could never uh, even possibly imagine or have ever seen before. And that's a great thing about serving the Lord, is just looking back and seeing how the Lord works out all of these details. But Peter's response is important. So imagine there, he's reluctant, hesitant, but he does it. Jesus does this miracle, fills their nets, they break, the ships begin to sink. And you can imagine that would be a little bit of a fearful situation to be in. Uh, None of us like to be in a boat that's sinking. That would not be fun. One time, I, a few years ago, I did it, felt like I was going to drown, literally. And that is not a fun situation to be in. I felt like I didn't have any more strength to swim back to the boat, and I was in deeper, too deep of water uh, in the Indian Ocean there near, off of Kenya, and I literally felt like I could possibly drown. That's a very fearful situation. And uh, here, their boats are sinking. So you can imagine... Uh, what they were feeling. You can imagine if you were in that situation. What is Peter's response? It's exactly, I think, what Jesus wanted. You know, you could, in some ways, I try to imagine what could Peter, as a fisherman, maybe in, in one sense, he could have been so happy. Like, but if you're sinking, it's, it's a bit of a scary situation. But in, at, at one point, maybe he was thinking, hey, look, we're going to get rich or something. We've got all these fish. I've never caught this many fish. We're going to we're going to make a lot of money here tonight. But then when the boat begins to sink, you can imagine that turns from joy about making money to fear. And you realize, you know what? Here's Jesus just sitting there. And we don't read of Jesus really doing anything. It's like that story where he was asleep in the storm on a pillow. And uh, Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He's probably just sitting there. I'd sort of envision him just looking at Peter, watching all this going on, just waiting for Peter to make the right response. And there in the midst of all these fish in a boat that's maybe about to sink, it says in verse 8 that he fell down at at Jesus' knees. And what does he say to him? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I wanted us to read a little bit in chapter 4 
because that helped us to see what Jesus was doing. But at the end there, Peter's response is just the opposite of all the crowds, wasn't it? If you look back at 442, they were, they were like pleading with Jesus. They sought him, they came unto him, and stayed him that he should not depart from them. So you see that Peter's response at this point is just the opposite of all the crowds. They, were, they wanted Jesus to stay with him. Remember in John 6, they wanted to make him a king. They loved you know, the food and all this stuff, the miracles. and uh, They probably liked the teaching a little bit too. But they, they really were grateful to have somebody that could heal all their diseases, do all this amazing multiplication of food and, and teach and these amazing messages. They were, they were uh, pleading with him to stay. At one point, they wanted to make him a king. But in this situation, Peter feels just the opposite, doesn't he? Because, you know, he understands that, that Jesus did all of this to really get his attention. And he realizes at this point that he's a sinful man. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, obviously when people get right in the presence of God, I think of Isaiah and his famous call in Isaiah 6. Same thing. He said, woe is me. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. So immediately when they know God's, when they're in the presence of God, they realize, hey, Jesus is not just this great teacher. This is God here. He's controlling all this. He's doing this on purpose. Then it really changes people's perspective. And that's why it's important to really think about this over and over again throughout our life because it's very easy for us to lose sight of that and uh, to forget exactly who Jesus is and the control that he has in our life. So think back in our life. If we could say, you know, I can relate to Peter. I remember when Jesus did that to me. Maybe it was a completely different set of circumstances, but you know Jesus really got a hold of your heart. He was sort of honing in on you. There was you know, all these other people or maybe these, all these different circumstances, but you knew Jesus was sort of looking right at you and saying, hey, I want you to learn a lesson. You can, we can all sort of picture ourselves being there in, in understanding that. But he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Maybe it's because he had just sort of in his mind doubted Jesus, sort of challenged him, thinking that he knew better than Jesus uh, earlier in that passage. Maybe it was that. Maybe he just knew all the other things in his life that were not quite right. And if Jesus could do this... Jesus probably knew about what, what his life was really like. And so this is where Jesus wants to get all of us, right? To, um, to be on our knees, to not really worry about all the fish, the slimy, smelly fish, but to just get down, not to worry about the others around him. Probably the crowds on the shore may have been observing some of this, but he didn't care at that point, did he? And that's, he was just finally willing to completely surrender to Jesus. So I think that's an important, uh, important to notice how the crowds, they loved having Jesus. They wanted him to stay forever. Peter, when he came into this circumstance and understood exactly what Jesus was doing uh, in his life, he realized that because he was so sinful, he didn't even really want to be in Jesus' presence. But we know that Jesus provides cleansing from sin, but I think all of us do feel that sense at times that we, we're not even worthy of what Jesus is really asking of us and what he wants us to do. So when he gets a hold of Peter's heart, then he helps him to understand. Now Peter can understand what life is all about. 
It's not just being that occasional follower of Jesus. He wants these guys to follow him fully and completely, to follow him now all the time. And he's going to really develop them into the kind of leaders that he can use once he leaves this earth. So it says they forsook all and followed him. But what was it the work? What was the great work? Fishing for men. Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And um, obviously uh, he's talking in a spiritual sense. And so I think that uh, we have to look at our life as an opportunity to cast those nets in many different ways. The Lord works in our life. Sometimes it's just in maybe direct uh, evangelism. Other times, uh, maybe it's a, just a part of building a local church, starting a church, and all those different things. If we realize that, hey, everything about my life is to be about catching men, even right here, we're not necessarily directly involved in evangelism, but the Lord's preparing us. He's molding our lives. He uses all kinds of different circumstances. Yesterday, I was talking with Marco, and he referred to his kitchen work as a ministry because all these new students come in every year and he works with them and he, he helps to teach them and show them things. And the kitchen, uh, even he mentioned it, can be sort of a hectic, stressful place to be in. But the Lord uses those things to teach us and develop us so we can be effective. If we never learn to deal with our, our temper and uh, our worry, well, we'll never be good at catching men. We'll, we might drive them away. But if God can mold us and shape us through our workplaces, through our dorm life, through our classes, then we can be effective in catching men. But realize that's really what life is all about. Preaching the kingdom, like Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. That's all a part of that work of catching men. So I trust that as we sit here today, God, and let God develop us. Use all these different skills, whether it's in instruments or working in the kitchen or working other jobs. Think about our opportunities in the dorms. God is teaching us to make us better at catching men, to use us all throughout our life to, to um, bring people to Jesus. Just in conclusion, I want us in this same chapter, thinking about what life is all about, catching men. I love this example, but definitely we need to be involved in that direct outreach to people. All of these things help to prepare us so that we can talk to people in various ways in our ministry. I love at the end, of, a little later in this chapter, we'll just conclude with this, uh, in thinking about catching men, I love the example of these guys who brought their friend to Jesus. And uh, Jesus was teaching, this is in verse 17, Luke 5, 17 through 19. I think it's a good uh, illustration for us in a spiritual sense. It says, It came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch, into the midst before Jesus. And I just thought that here they wanted physical healing, but I thought that's a good way to think of it as we go out from here catching men. Look for any means possible to bring people to Jesus. Don't let anything be a hindrance to us. 
Here, these, these guys were so intent on getting their friend to Jesus so he could be healed. And of course, uh, Jesus does deal with his sin problem. But I think that's, a, that's the way we should look at our life now is that once we realize that what life is all about, all that we're doing here, God is using it to mold us. But the primary purpose is catching men, bringing them to Jesus so their sins can be dealt with. And these guys, were they didn't come up there and say, well, there's no way to get in to see Jesus, so let's just forget it. No, they sought, I love that phrase, they sought means to get him right there in front of Jesus, to bring him right to Jesus. And that, I think, could be a good way to think about our ministry as we go out from here today and we go throughout our life, look for all those different means that God can use us in all kinds of different settings to bring them to Jesus. But let's make sure that that's what our life is all about. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to gather here today, to be here at Ambassador Baptist College in this chapel session. I pray that this incident from the life of Peter, Lord, It's a very important one, and I pray that each of us would reflect on it. And that, Lord, if you're dealing with anyone's heart here today, that we would fully surrender. If we would have not had our focus upon what's important to you, catching men, may you mold us into that kind of a person. Help us to be more effective. Help us not to be caught up in all the busyness of life, all the other side issues, but to realize that there's a purpose behind what you're doing in our life. And I trust we'll each surrender to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.